This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Today is the low-cost modern house episode. This is a hot topic, maybe one of the hottest, and one that seems like everyone has an opinion. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Lane Williams. And today we're going to be discussing low-cost modern houses. I'm starting to wonder, after doing this for as long as I have, if the low-cost modern house is like Santa Claus, something you believe in until you get older and learn enough to know better. I know. Hopefully there's no, like, eight-year-olds listening to the podcast today. (laughs) Yeah. I get asked all the time, straight up, how much does a house cost? Which, let's be honest, that is a wildly uninformed question. How big is it? Where is it located? What's the style? What amenities are in the house? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? Is there a pool? Is there a garage? Is there land? It goes Mm -hmm. on and on and on. But I need to say this up front. Let's make this clear. Today, we are not talking about the tiny house conversation. Yeah, I think we kind of have to get rid of the extremes. So any tiny houses or McMansion things. We're not living on the top of a mountain somewhere. What can the average American do to create this low-cost modern? That's right. This is not made out of pallets in your backyard next to your modern chicken coop. (laughs) (laughs) The idea is that this is a real functioning house that a family of, let's say, four people could live in and raise their kids. So I think that's where we should start. Can we fit a dog in there too? Outside. Outside dog? Okay. Yeah. Next to the chicken coop. That's our one variable. So let's talk a little bit about the parameters that go into a low-cost modern house. So the premise, I would start with that modern design used to be about the mechanization of the process, thereby making Mm -hmm. a thing affordable to everyone. But I don't think that's true anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I think by its very definition, from a construction standpoint, and and I talk about this a lot with people, is that modern houses straight up are more expensive to build per square foot than a traditional home. Yeah, it's a little less conceiving because you think they look more simple. You know, it's it looks like it's very straightforward, easy thing to do. Therefore, it would be cheaper because it's a more industrial. And that's part of the modern idea is this industrialization of creating things. And so you'd think it'd be cheaper, but when it comes down to it, it's not. It's it, not. <laughs> and the reason it's not is because you're having to pay a higher wage for skilled workers mm-hmm. to actually build it because every bit of construction craft is exposed. This easiest one I use as an example is on traditional home, there's normally a lot of crown molding. It seems like the fancier the house is, the bigger the crown molding is. And I'm telling you that that is a way to hide whether or not your wall is straight and your ceiling is level. If I'm going to put a big piece of crown mold over that corner, the way those two planes come together, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd never know it. But in modern design, it wouldn't have that piece of crown molding. And you're going to see if that wall is waffling or waving as it moves through. Can't hide behind your ball of lies with modern houses. <laughs> <laughs> and by balls, we mean your trim. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So just, and you can extrapolate that premise throughout mm-hmm. a modern house and go, okay, this is why, like the type of floor. If you're going to expose your floor as opposed to putting hand scraped wood floors down. And let me tell you, hand scraped wood floors are not a luxury amenity. It's where all the remnant bad quality pieces of wood get used. Because there are varying lengths, they can scrape it, which is basically kind of damaging the surface so they mm-hmm. don't have to have like this really pristine piece of wood. Yeah. If you're going to do, say, concrete floors, you know, you're going to express the construction process as a finished product in the house, that finished product has to be pretty good, 
right? Because I'm not covering up if my floor is not level or if my concrete slab has holidays in it. It's got little pock holes all through it. Mm-hmm. Who cares if I'm going to cover it up with wood floor? And it costs more money to protect that floor during construction. Yeah, that's right? true. It's a finished yeah. product. So what you pour, it's one of the first things you're going to do. And then over however long the build is, you have to make sure that somebody doesn't drop a giant ladder on top of it and take a gouge out of it. Yeah. Right? So the idea for this episode, despite the fact that I get, or maybe because I stick my head up out of the sink, mm-hmm. a lot of people from around the country will email me and say, hey, I'd like to hire you. You seem like a nice guy. Little do they know. <laughs> <laughs> they, they find out soon. I know. You'll find out eventually. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. But to say, hey, we'd like to work with you to do this house. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'll, I will jump through all the flaming hoops to educate them on what the process is. How does it work? Not, not just necessarily with me, but with anybody. Yeah. And then you always get around to the point where you say, okay, how big a house do you want to do? And what's your budget? And the wheels go flying off. You know, and it's because that there's a misconception of what an appropriate budget should be and how big of a house somebody actually wants to design. Here's an analogy that I'll use. So there's two type of clients. Client one who has a bag of money and they say, this is what I want. And you tell them how much it's going to cost. And then for everything that they have, they take a, they take that bit of the money out of the bag. Mm-hmm. And when the bag is empty, they're done. That's it. And then you have other people who say this bag can hold $200,000 worth of architecture in it. Yeah. And every time they ask for something, they stick it in the bag. Well, when the bag gets full, they just kind of mash. I want more stuff in there. I need more stuff. And they just kind of jam stuff in there. And so stuff's getting broken and broken. It's, it's not aligned anymore. Cracking it's not put in, in the bag nice. Yeah. You know, Ugh. but they're like, I got all my stuff. Doesn't matter that it's all jacked up now. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's much different ways that people can approach it. And so when we start the process and people find out that, hey, guess what? You can't build a house for $120 a square foot. They're stunned by this. They're like, mm-hmm. why not? And I go, okay, well, let's walk through the process of what you want. And it turns out the culprit that they normally come up with is that they start with a lot of money, but they want a humongous house and it drives the cost down to $120. Yeah. I wonder what the, I don't know where this idea that bigger is better. I mean, it seems like a very American idea, but I'm sure it permeates everywhere else as well. It's like this idea about keeping up with the Joneses. It's, it just seems like something that's anti-modern in a way. It definitely, it's definitely anti-modern. Yeah. Right. Well, let me tell you this. So I did a little research. I went back to the 2015 U.S. Census and they wrote a a white paper on Mm -hmm. the characteristics of new housing, which was the most unbelievably boring read you can possibly imagine. (laughs) You read this over the last two weeks to help you fall asleep, right? (laughs) (laughs) I just rolled it up and put my head on it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But let me tell you this. So in 1973, the average home size in the South, Mm -hmm. because that's where I'm at. Right. And they broke it down into like every geographic region you can think about. And I'm not going to report on every geographic reason. I'm just going to focus on the one where we're sitting in. Mm-hmm. This holds true with just about every, you know, this, the ratio between these two numbers is fairly consistent across the board. Okay. Right. But I just want to be specific. In 1973, the average home size in the South was 1,670 square feet. Right. Okay. Not huge. So 52 years later, the average home size in the South was 2,750 square feet. So about 1,000 square feet bigger. Wow. Right? That's a lot bigger. Yeah. I mean, it's 62% if my math is right. For the same, like, X amount of bedrooms? No, X no, no. Okay, so... Or no, you just no. mean overall? There's more stuff. Yeah, just like my container of house in mm-hmm. 73 was 1,670 square feet. Yeah. My container of house in 2015 
was 2,750. Okay. So here's some of the things that have changed. In 73, 12% of those houses had two bedrooms. 64% had three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And 23% had four bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So four bedrooms was not that common. Two bedrooms was not that common. So these are generally speaking, on average, three bedroom houses at 1,700 square feet. In 2015, 10% were two bedrooms, which is a 2% drop. Three bedrooms were 42%, which was a 22% drop. Four bedrooms was 47%, which is a 24% increase. Interesting. So you go, all right, so a big chunk of that was they added another bedroom. That's that's the takeaway. Yeah. Right? The majority of the houses now, they were three-bedroom average in 73, and now they're four-bedroom average in 2015. Hmm. Number of bathrooms, and I thought this was kind of funny, 73 40% were one and a half bath, 41% were two bath. So that's 81% were two baths or less, the vast majority. And they went up to three baths, not available. <laughs> like none. Statistically speaking, there were no three bathrooms houses. That's three bathrooms in a house. High luxury there. That is high luxury. <laughs> and just to jump to jump ahead, uh, in 2015, almost 40% of the houses had four or more bathrooms. Wow. Yeah. People love their bathrooms. People love their bathrooms. I mean, I love my bathroom. <laughs> we all love that you love your bathroom. So so here's here's the takeaway. So we know in our own projects, mm-hmm. now when we design bedrooms, we do en suite. Every, bed, every bedroom has its own bathroom. That's pretty common. That was non-existent in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. There was a hall bath, which was just a toilet and a sink for guests. And then there was one full bath that the entire family used. Yeah. That was pretty much the norm, and that's not the case anymore. So the other thing that I looked up, and I thought this was really interesting. So there was this guy named Mark Perry. He's an economics and finance professor at the University of Michigan's Flint campus, and he wrote a white paper to follow up on this this census white paper Mm -hmm. that said, today's new houses compared to those built in the past are much more energy efficient. They come with better, bigger, and more bathrooms, closets, fireplaces, bedrooms, garages, They're equipped with better and more home appliances. They almost all include modern features like central air conditioning, which 93% of all homes in that 2015 census had air conditioning, Mm -hmm. 93%. And then you compare that to what it was in the 70s, fewer than half of the houses had air conditioning. Uh, Americans are paying about 70% more today for the median priced new house on an inflation-adjusted basis compared to a 1973 house, largely because the size of the meeting house today is bigger by about 1,000 square foot. So this is a lot of numbers, and if you're listening, you know, you're not writing this down. Yeah. The takeaway here is the median price in 1973 is about $115 a square foot to build a house. In 2015, prepare yourself. That price had risen to only $120 a square foot. Wow. So you go, that's like a $5 square foot change. What happened? Well, the houses are a 1,000 square foot bigger. That's where it is. That's where the money is. So we know that if we're going to look at the idea of a a low-cost modern house, you have to start with the square footage. Yeah. That's where the money is. This notion you need that other 1,000 square feet, maybe that's something that's called in a little bit more. You don't need 20 bathrooms or anything. You know, you're thinking about family actually sharing certain rooms. Yeah, we know, and I'll be the first to admit the idea of sharing a bathroom with the people I love in my life. (laughs) 
inconceivable. <laughs> you, you grow closer as a family, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm the only male in my house. Yeah. So I love the fact that I have my own bathroom. You know what? And it's so clean. <laughs> so one of the things I thought that I'd just kind of interject here. So I wrote a post a long time ago. I had a friend of mine, a mm-hmm. uh, high school friend, who hired me to do a weekend house for him. Okay. He's, you know, he was doing pretty well. He had some money. I mean, enough money to do, have a weekend house, right? He came and he said, I want to do it as cost effectively as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I said, here you go. Here's my challenge. Here's my opportunity to do the low cost modern house challenge. Like, how can I do a house that doesn't break the bank? That is below a certain price point, which mm-hmm. I had never identified before. I had never said in order to qualify as a low cost modern house, it has to cost below this dollar amount. Because the truth is, is that number is going to fluctuate if I'm on the East Coast or the West Coast or in middle America. It all, it all, it's all relative. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I'm not making this specifically about, because if I go, I built it for $150 a square foot. People in San Francisco are like, oh my God, that's like free. Yeah. Like I pay more for air. <laughs> and it's not even clean. Yeah. So, so that's not it. I don't want to distill it down just specifically to a dollar number. Yeah. But what we did when we started this project, we said, okay, so what are all the things that drive up the cost in a house? The geometry clearly does. Mm-hmm. The roof shape does. The number of shared spaces that we have, like how many living rooms are there? You know, now this is a weekend house. So it was designed to have like bunk beds and a couple of different rooms and mm-hmm. multiple families out there at once. But we only had one living room, like one entertaining space yeah okay right and we designed it so that the garage had a, another door in it so you could open the garage door on one side and open up it wasn't another garage door but it was like a big sliding door oh so it became sort of like a patio area it became an house. outdoor covered okay. space right yeah. so this is a way that we could accommodate a programming requirement with a functional requirement of the house as well yeah it was a two-story house mm-hmm. and that's so that we can minimize the footprint of the foundation right so we wanted to build up a little mm-hmm. bit all the products we used were off the shelf. So all the windows were standard size. The doors were standard size. We didn't have eight foot tall doors. Everything is a standard, like six foot eight. comes right out of the box. This yeah. is the size that yeah. it is. All the millwork we put in it was flat pack, you know, with the idea that, hey, at some point you'll have the ability to have somebody make you the cabinetry that you want. But when we designed our openings, we designed it for Ikea cabinets to go in. Okay. So it's like phasing. Well, it was phasing, but it was also... You know, building to a construction module, but like mm-hmm. I didn't have a 12 foot, four and three quarter inch opening that yeah. I would have to have somebody custom make the millwork to fit in. Mm-hmm. We might hit it right at 12 foot because you can go buy your cabinets and and 12 inch, 15 inch, 18 inch, 24 inch, 36, in these certain increments. And we wanted it so when it comes out that we don't have that extra inch and a half that we got to fill. Yeah. Okay. Right. When I designed the house, I thought about those kind of things. We had very, very simple roof shape. We had a shed for part of it, and then we had a gable roof on part of it. Okay. So there weren't any tricky flashing conditions that we had to deal with. We minimized the amount of every time the building takes a turn, mm-hmm. right? So we basically used rectangles. Okay. Because every time the building turns, I've got more flashing I got to do. I got more trim work I got to do. Yeah. You know, I got more jogs and steps in my foundation like I got to deal with. And it's Texas, so it gets hot. So there, there is heating and there is air conditioning. You know, there is cooling in this house. But we designed it so that there's one trunk line that ran down the spine of the house mm-hmm. that distributed air. So I didn't have multiple units that ended up having multiple trunk lines and all these feeders. It's like basically one big main duct that went down the house and just side discharged out for the whole length. 
Okay. I mean, really, really efficient. Yeah. So we put this in place and we went through the process of actually having it priced. And it came in, I think, not including land costs or soft costs. No land and no professional services, even though my not, my charge was not particularly high on this because he was a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. But I think he came in around 130 some dollars a square foot. Okay. Now, sadly, it never got built. Oh. And it didn't get built because about that time, his firm, he's his own firm, he's a lawyer, was doing well, and they wanted to buy a different house in the city. So instead of dividing their resources and staying where they were at and building the second home, they decided to sell their current home and buy a house that suited their living needs more suitably than the one they were living in. So that's where their attention went. And we just Mm -hmm. haven't ever circled back around to move forward with this project. Okay. So it was a project on paper in a way, but it got priced how it was going to be built. Yeah, we did the drawings far enough to where yeah. we got a contractor on board and he he put together. We actually had a bid. Yeah. So this was like a real, legit number. Hmm. And I can't tell you how much I wish that house got built. It's pretty sweet. I mean, not only, I mean, I like the design clearly because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I fancy myself as a designer. <laughs> I like to think I do good work. <laughs> but this is this was an opportunity for us to say, how can we be clever about using everyday common materials yeah. and, and simplifying the construction Because here's something, here's another consideration for us that we took into consideration during the design process, the skill level of the person who was going to be building it. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have fussy details in this job. Yeah. There wasn't stuff that you go, oh, it all hinges on you being able to take this outside corner and have three materials come together all completely flushed out. That just seemed like an unnecessary way for for us to add cost and challenge to the project. Yeah, I think think that whole idea of being clever with it makes it a enjoyable challenge and so it would have been nice to have it complete you know actually see it built i'd live in that house too quite honestly like right now as my main house i'd live in that house yeah it was awesome one of the things i should introduce is i called my good friend and fellow architect eric reinholt from 30 by 40 design workshop to have a chat about low-cost modern homes i thought he would be a good fit for this particular topic because he designed simple modern site-specific homes with humble materials agrarian building forms, and modernist detailing. I also thought he'd be a good fit because his studio is located on the mid-coast of Maine on Mount Desert Island, home to the beautiful Acadia National Park. And geographically speaking, he couldn't be more different than yeah, us. not in our bubble of Texas. Yeah, we have an outsider coming in. That's right, a and, carpetbagger. <laughs> carpetbagger, we'll listen to you. Well, you know, so... You know, I was up in Maine this summer. Yeah. Uh, I kind of added a little vacation stop after the national convention. Mm-hmm. And somebody pointed out, they're like, you know, you're super close to Eric. And I was like, uh, what? I didn't really know that I was that close. So I looked it up and it turns out I was like literally 20 minutes away. Yeah. I don't think I realized. I thought I assumed he was in Vermont or somewhere. I, I watched a couple of his YouTube videos. It's like the same place. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa cut, there. Cut, cut that part out. <laughs> Yeah, but so I, I gave him a call, and because um, when I was up there visiting him, you know, he built his own house, yeah, in his own shop, and you know, and he works from you know, it's thirteen steps. He has a very beautiful mm-hmm. kind of video. It's really beautiful. It is. You know what? I just, <laughs> I'm I, really I, just, I need a moment. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, the first video I watched that he did was on the him leaving his corporate job, Ooh. you know, and. And going out to live in Stick it to the this man. beautiful environment, mm-hmm. and he fixes his cup of coffee, his thermos, and then he walks 13 steps out of the door of his house to his super awesome studio. <laughs> and I looked at it, 
and I had so much envy. I was tearing up. Oh man. I seriously, I need a moment. It's pretty cool. Though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I'm really envious. So I, anyway, point of all that was, <laughs> so I went and visited him. So mm-hmm. I've seen the house. I've seen his house. I've seen the studio. I've been in it. So I called and I asked him a couple of questions. So if we start thinking about ways that you yourself, let's say you're interested in, in building a modern house and you want to keep a modest budget in place. What mm-hmm. are some of the things that you should consider in order to achieve that goal? Eric built his own home and I asked him about the various ways that he saved money during that process. When we built our house in 2007, so yeah, it was a while ago, um, but everything I was looking at on the market, I thought, oh man, you know, I could do better than that. Like if I'm going to spend... $350,000 on a house, like I can surely do better than that. And uh, you know, that, that forces the exercise of going, okay, well, what is that like for 1600 square feet? Where's, where's that put us for a, a square foot price? And what does that mean? You know? And once you start adding everything up, wow, it's, it's pretty shocking how quickly it, it adds up. You know, it's, uh, you exceed the hundred dollars a square foot, like pretty quickly and you're, you're still doing something basic. So, I, I mean, I, I definitely can identify, with, with that process for sure. One of the way that he said he achieved this, that I had, I literally had never thought of this before was that he used a commercial contractor to build his house. There are big trade-offs when you hire a commercial contractor. (laughs) There's just, you have to accept the fact that, okay, like trim details, they're not going to care about that. Like it's your drywall. It's probably not going to be like level five finish. Like you're, it's not going to be great. (laughs) And so I think if you go into that knowing that, um, I mean, I'm pretty fussy about details and like I had a lot of problems with the way it was executed. And and I think, you know, it it suggests this almost like this hybrid model, um, which may be good for for homeowners where this you you sort of capitalize on the efficiencies of the commercial contractor. Um, but understanding their weaknesses, um, you know, finishing things like the, the finished detailing, like you start to take on some of that. And, you know, I know not everybody's qualified to do that, but like, for example, the tile work in the house, like there was no way I was going to hand o- over that job to these commercial guys. Cause I knew what the end product would look like. And so that was an area where, you know, I wanted to spend a little bit more money and buy some limestone tile. And, you know, I, I wanted to install that and I wanted to be in charge of all the details and how things lined up because I knew that was important to me and I knew that was going to be a problem for them to execute. But things like, you know, the decision not to put any trim on the windows um, and just use sheetrock returns. I mean, that's a commercial detail. Like those guys are set up to do that. And that to me, that's saving money because if I was going to hire a, you know, finish trim, uh, finished carpenter to, trim out those windows and get all fussy with that detail. Like that's real money. And to me, that's not money well spent in a, like a simple modern house. So I think, you know, there's a series of decisions that you can make and, and really be smart about where you're choosing to spend money and choosing to invest sort of added labor costs and where you're opting not to. What? That's crazy. <laughs> but it, thunk it? Well, you know, it worked for him. And I think part of the reason it worked for him does not necessarily mean that it's a viable solution in other parts of the country. You got to keep in mind, he lives on an island. Literally an island. Literally an island. But because he literally lives on an island, there are considerations to his workflow that we don't have to deal with. You know, he gave an example at one point about how he, as a commercial contractor, there were certain finish phases that he could take out of that contractor scope 
and he could take it on himself. So the idea that you can reduce costs by doing it yourself was viable in his instance. Mm -hmm. Normally, I would say that's a bad idea, right? The idea that you would hire a contractor and say, all right, I want you to do everything except for I'll do the drywall work myself because when I was in college, I hung drywall. I actually had a client once. That was his idea. He's like, hire the contractor, but I'll do these five different things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no contractor is going to take this job. Yeah. Right. You can take it out as cut of the pie. Well, it's not It's not just the cut of the pie, even though that's part of it. We'll get to that in a second. It has to do with workflow, right? So letting a contractor come in to do his job and then letting him finish and leave, that's a, that's a clean workflow, right? But if you come in and say, all right, contractor, come in. And then when you get to this point, just go away for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, don't do anything else. I still need you to finish this job, but I'm going to, I'm going to take on the drywall work. Yeah. Cause part of his job is not only to organize your job, but he has to organize a schedule of jobs. So his subcontractors can hop from job to job. So he has a clean date to jump to the next job almost. That's right. He does smaller. Overlap. He wants to roll people from project to project. Yeah. It makes sense. But in, in addition to that, let's say that you go, all right, I'll, I'll be done in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, something happens at off at the office. And your two weeks turns into three weeks or four weeks or something. What's a contractor going to do? Right. He's got his guys mobilized, ready to come in and do their job. Mm-hmm. And so the scheduling doesn't really work out. So that's one reason why that's a bad idea. The other reason why that's a bad idea. Let's say that you're really not as good at hanging sheetrock as you say you are. And so the contractor's got to come into the project and build on top of work that you did that he might think is substandard. Well, yeah. let's be honest. You don't hang sheetrock all the time anymore. It's going to be substandard, mm-hmm. right? So it's a bad idea. But for, for Eric, in the scenario that he was painting, it had to do with, okay, contractor, you get the framing to a certain point, and then I'll do all the insulation work. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And he goes, it might take a month for me to get someone who can come do the insulation. So it allows them to keep moving. Mm-hmm. If okay. I say, hey, I'll do it, it allows them to still get out because the commercial contractor, they're really skilled at at the workflow process. So they make their money by charging you their fee. And the, the more compressed they can make the construction schedule, the more money they make on the back end, mm-hmm. right? Their overhead and profit. They can get it done faster than they think they can. That's less overhead that they're having to spend to actually do the work. So they're all for get it done faster, right? That's not necessarily true with residential contractors because what they look at it is, it's a different skill set. So they say, I'm going to bring in this worker and then he's going to come. And when he ends, then I'm going to bring in the next guy. And then when he's done, then I'm going to bring in the next guy. So it's less weaving people together. That's right. They run break They run things. concurrently. Commercial guys run stuff yeah. concurrently where yeah. possible. And almost all residential contractors, even really good ones that I know, tend to run the work consecutively. Okay. Right. They don't let the next guy come in until the first guy's done. Mm-hmm. And he has to accept the work of the first guy so that you can't come back later and go, well, my tile work isn't great because the wall was crooked. They come in, they expect the work. They go, hey, there's a problem with the wall. If the contractor didn't catch it, then the contractor has the ability to go back and say, all right, you got to fix this wall before my tile guy comes in and does what he's going to do. Okay. Yeah. Right. The other moving part to this is Eric pulled out some finish work. A lot of contractors, that's where they make their money because it doesn't. Now, this is a gross oversimplification, but the idea that it doesn't cost any more from a labor standpoint for them to install a dollar square foot tile versus a $20 square foot tile. Mm-hmm. But they get to charge you their overhead and profit markup on a on a more expensive product. Okay. Right? So if yeah. you say, 
hey, get everything ready, but I'll buy the tile myself and install it myself. Well, that's their fat. I mean, that's where that's where they're making most of their money on the job. So if you go in and surgically remove all the places where there's fat, they're not going to want to take that job. So if we if we get back to the show's premise, you know, the idea that you're interested in having your own low cost modern house, you know, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. What do you have to do to get there? So we've already kind of hit on a couple of these items. One of them is simple forms and massing seems to be, well, other than reduce your square footage, right? That really should be the title of the show. People, I think, in general are sort of, you know, wisening up to the fact that it it actually makes a lot of sense from a living standpoint to have a smaller footprint. So I, I don't know if that's just the clients that are coming to me or or what that trend is. But, um, you know, I think that certainly that's the, the, the place where when we're having budget discussions, that's the first place I go is square footage. Like it needs to cost less. Okay, so we're giving up square footage. Well, it sounds like they're receptive of that as a way to save money on a project. No, they hate it. It's like, it's, it's the last thing they want. The first thing they want to do is, well, we'll save on the materials, which is like completely the the wrong approach. Yeah. I think, I mean, if we go back, we mentioned tiny homes in the beginning as being, you know, an outlier, but I think the idea of the tiny home, like it's become a more popular thing because of this notion about people have had this exuberance of wealth. And I think it even ties back to maybe even the financial crisis in 2008, you know, People saw all this greed and then it collapsed an entire, you know, economy in a sense. So it's sort of like a withdrawal. People are pulling back and want to do less. And it's sort of a anti-greed kind of movement in a way. And I think that's part of even where all this sort of hipster authenticity thing is coming from. Because people are, you know, they don't trust big financial systems as much. And so there's this pullback to, you know, people want to live out in the middle of nowhere and this rural areas get away from big companies and big government yeah it's a cultural shift yeah and and but i it's not i'm not sure that it's the 50 and 60 somethings which tend to be our clients that yeah. are that yeah, are interested yeah. in the tiny homes but i so i go all right so there's a demographic it's mm-hmm. the late 20s early 30s the family that's just getting started maybe they don't have any children yet they're about to or maybe they have one or two small kids Maybe that's part of those folks are instant saying, I want to build a house that reflects my lifestyle. I think the tiny home, I'll be happy when it goes away. It's not viable. And the reason why I don't think it's viable. It's a cute little. I, they're like, I don't want to reduce the people who are really passionate about it as an idea. Because mm. there's lots of things about it that I think are positive. The reason why I don't think it's viable is I don't think it's viable to raise a family in a 200 square foot house. I just don't. And that's not to say that everything's driven around having a family. Mm-hmm. Right, because I get that there's people out there that either aren't married or don't plan on getting married, or if they are married, aren't planning on having kids, and they don't need all the square footage, and they're more than happy to live in a converted school bus, you know, and drive around the country and do cool things and put it on their Instagram feeds. Yeah, well, this is the idea. That's not a solution for the average person thinking about that's right solving that big problem kind of thing. Yeah, the person who's calling us saying, "I want you to design me a modern house, but I don't have a million dollars in the bank to do it." Mm-hmm. That's not an option for them. Yeah. You know, a converted school bus or, or the 200 square foot palletized, you know, tiny home. Those aren't viable options for the vast majority of the home buying public. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's fringe stuff. It sells magazines. But the other consideration, Eric actually brought this up when he and I were chatting last night and I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. But one major consideration 
And I would be interested in learning a bit more about this particular angle of the low-cost modern house. But it has to do with the ability to secure funding and insurance for these smaller projects. Just how hard or easy is it to buy a piece of property in an established neighborhood and then be able to tell the bank, hey, I want to build an open plan concept house of you know 1,200 square feet for my family of four. Well, the bank's going to look for comparable products on the market in that particular neighborhood in their effort to justify what their perceived risk level is. I know that this is a specific kind of topic because I brought it up when I talked with Eric last night and he had a really interesting, he had this, he had this problem on his own home. When I was trying to get financing for the house, they're like, eh, I don't know about that. We're not going to like, what if I wanted to make a thousand square foot, three bedroom home? Eh, it's like the market doesn't support it. So there is a reality there that I think, you know, if you're talking about low cost modern, you have to confront those realities. It's, it's a real thing. People are going to have to get financing. You're going to have to talk to a bank. You're going to have to look at comps and like here. Like we had very few comps, like people aren't designing a lot of modern things around here. Like a long house, 20 feet by 80 feet. Nah, that's like, what are you doing that for? <laughs> so we've already hit on a couple of these, but there are still a few items that I'd like to just really drill in. So the idea of if you're trying to do your own low cost modern house, mm -hmm. you know, we already know about the get rid of square footage, but the other is you have to use simple forms and massing. I think that's pretty self-evident. That kind of manifests itself in kind of an agrarian motif. You know, yeah. you see that a lot because let's, let's be honest, people who are building farms, they didn't build them because they were beautiful. They built them because they were efficient. They worked well. They used a minimum amount of material for a maximum amount of square footage that they gained. Mm -hmm. They weren't really interested in like, what kind of maintenance is going to go into this barn using agrarian buildings kind of as a template for how to build an efficient economical structure is a great place to start. You know, and they have simple roofs. They might be a shed roof, you know, means the roof pitches in one direction or they might have a gable, meaning they have like a ridge down the center or at least it slopes in two different directions. These are really, really good places to start. Yeah, not a crazy 20 facet roof like you see in those spec homes. No kidding. <laughs> oh. I also think that if you design the house so that the work can be phased over time. So this means designing a place for things to exist now that maybe you don't put in place until future day. Yeah. So the idea like creating a niche where you'll temporarily infill it with more flat pack cabinetry and then maybe in the future. That's right. Fill and, it out. You know, Eric used the same strategy in his house. Take my house as an example here. You know, I designed these sort of alcoves into the plan and I, I knew I couldn't afford to do cabinetry in you know when we first built it so i knew either they were going to the cabinets were going to be built in later or i was going to go to ikea which is mostly what i did and buy pieces of furniture and assemble them myself and slide them into place let's take a minute and talk about the materials that one could use in a low-cost modern house okay so are there materials that seem particularly suited for being used in a low-cost modern house yeah absolutely Certainly, I think that low maintenance should be a consideration, mm -hmm. but I also think materials that can can fill more than one role. You know, for example, let's say you're going to do a slab on grade foundation. Yeah. Right. So you're going to pour that concrete. Well, have that concrete be the finished floor in your house. Don't cover it up with wood floor, right? Mm -hmm. Or with carpet or yeah. with tile. Make that the finished product. But it takes a little more thought in the construction process. You have to 
cover it up after you finish it. You have to pay a premium for that floor to be exposed. Mm -hmm. But that premium, the goal would be that that premium is still less than what it would cost to put a $10 square foot wood floor down. It's going to save you money if that's a consideration you're willing to take. You could also use, say, CMU block as a load-bearing wall. That mm-hmm. could be your exterior wall, and it could be your interior wall. Yeah. Of course, that depends on the climate. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. But the idea is you're you're taking the bones of the structure, and you're exposing those things, and maybe it requires a little bit more forethought. Like, for instance, the grout in your CMU wall, it might be treated with a little more finesse on the interior because you know that's going to be your exposed finish rather than plastering on some plaster. Yeah. You're not gonna you're not putting another layer of furring strips down and then putting sheetrock on top of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you want to try to find a way that when you build, you want the thing that creates the structure to be the finished product as well. Mm. Right? I think that that's a viable strategy. I also think that it should be, well, we're going to say it, you should build to a construction module. Yeah. Right. So that basically okay. means a 16 inch increment, mm-hmm. right? Because that is a construction material sizing, you know, 16 inches, 32 inches, 48 inches. These are standards. And so the less cutting you have to do, like if you made something that was say 52 inches, well, okay, you're going to put a 48 inch piece of plywood on there and then you're going to have to rip, mm-hmm. you know, another little strip. So there, there's more waste, there's more labor as opposed to if you say, all right, I'm going to make this an increment to where when I rip it down, I either don't have any waste or I have a viable product left over that doesn't go in the trash. Yeah. It right? seems like all these things are just being smart about building, knowing enough about building to be able to plan for it. That's right. You want to you want to be purposeful in the moves that you make. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. I also think that if you can design using off-the-shelf products, which sounds really mm-hmm. easy, it's really not as easy as you might think, but it's the idea that, like, if you're going to buy windows, buy windows that are stock windows. There are lots of, like Pella. Pella makes great products, mm-hmm. and they have standard sizes that you can say, I want one of those, and they go back. I'm making this up. I don't know if it's actually true, but they, they're set up to make windows of a certain size, and if you go, well, I need it an inch and a half bigger, mm-hmm. okay, well, stop the system. We got to actually make this one special as opposed to these ones that are stock sizes, Yeah. Okay. right? So you're paying a premium to having custom-sized windows made, so don't do that. Yeah, just make all these the standard things shive together. And that's part of the trickery, being clever, is making them all align, run across the side of the building. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not to get up on my soapbox and toot all architects' horns, but that should be the reason why you would hire somebody like us is because we know this information, we think about it, mm-hmm. and we know how to put it into place so that you, our client, can reap the benefits down the road from us having gone through this process before. Okay, so we've just got through spending, I don't know, the last 30, 45 minutes mm-hmm. talking about ways that you can achieve the low-cost modern house, despite the fact that I let off this entire episode by saying, I don't think it's possible. And so here we are later. Have I changed my own mind? Have you solved it? No, I haven't. <laughs> now, we've talked about ways to make it better. Yeah. You know, I think there's ways that we can make it better. But the reality is where we live, this part of the earth, in 2018, I can't, even using all the methods that I've put in place, I don't think I could build a house for less than $175 a foot. And that's not because I use the most expensive contractors and I'm mm-hmm. going to fly Tibetan orphans in, you know, to stamp gold leaf on the ceiling because that's just what I do. It has to be done. It has to be done. That's not why. Yeah. You know, first off, I think all the houses that we generally get asked to do 
they have a certain square footage to them. I don't think I've ever done a house that's smaller than about 2,200 square foot. I think that's the smallest one I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I think it kind of starts and ends. Really, I really should change the title of the show to build it smaller. Watch your square footage. If it's 175 square foot, reduce square foot. That's about what it comes down to. Well, okay. Make all your kids share your bathroom. <laughs> that's what that's just, what we would still do. Just put to. a make a concrete room and put a hose bib in there. There you go. And there you go. That's the one hole right in the middle. And that's everything you need. Okay, so let's just say this. If if we say, oh, $175 a square foot, again, in our neck of the woods. Yeah. I could just build as big a house as I'd ever want for 175. I don't have to reduce the square footage. Unfortunately, that's not really how it works. Most people come in and say, I have a bag of money that's $350,000 and I want to build this house. And once we divide the the square footage they want by the house, by the by the bag of money that they have, the numbers come in at like $125 a square foot. And I go, I just, I can't make that work. The other thing is we're trying to align the expectations of that individual and them spending their hard-earned money to have a product that in the end they're happy with. Mm-hmm. Can I align your expectations of perfection with you can't pay for perfection and execution at this price point? Yeah, on such a large project. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really think it's it's something that, I mean, this is probably the closest thing that I have that keeps me up at night. I would say probably at least once or twice a week, I end up having a conversation with somebody who wants to do this exact thing. And they still fall off. They go, hey, I read that post you did about the low-cost modern house challenge. Did you ever get it done? Does it work? What would you do? It happens all the time. And I have to say, no, it didn't get built. And no, we haven't ever been able to do a second one. Yeah. So this is like your white whale. You're chasing it. It is my white whale. Because part of the problem is, is let's say that we're going to cut out some square footage, right? Because we say, oh, it all starts with this cutting out the square footage. Well, you know what you're not cutting out? You're not cutting out the rooms that cost the most money. Mm-hmm. If I have a 3,000 square foot house and I go, no, nope, you got to get down to 2,000 square foot. You're not cutting out the kitchen. You're not cutting out a bathroom. What you're cutting out is bedroom number five, mm-hmm. you know, or a second living room. These are, and those are the cheapest spaces to build. Yeah. Now yeah. they still cost money. I'm not saying that it's a zero sum game. There's definitely some cost savings by getting rid of fifth bedrooms or fourth bedrooms or second mm-hmm. living spaces or the billiard room or whatever it is that but you want to do. Those core spaces like your kitchen. You're always going to have living, it. Yeah. And you have to you have to reset the expectations for what that kitchen might be. There you go. I don't I don't feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> wish you feel happy. I know. I wish yeah. I, I I really wish that there was like an easy answer for this. There's just not. Yeah. And it really it has to do with what people want and what they can afford mm-hmm. based on their expectations are not in alignment with one another. We'll have to reconvene when those come back in alignment if they ever do. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe my daughter's generation. This is the one. That's going to finally say, all right, this is what, this is what's important to us. The way that we live our lives is more important than how we live our lives. Right. Yeah. That should go on a bumper sticker. That's optimistic. (laughs) That is optimistic. optimistic. I feel great. (laughs) Okay. And now. In my spare time. And my my spare time also. All right. I'm going to go first. You always go first. (laughs) Yeah. And once again, it's such a trick. I don't know you what it is. Never would have guessed it. I know, yeah, it's well. It's London. I know. But All I right. don't but I don't know what you're doing in your spare time. I think you do. Well, I don't know what you're going to talk about. Okay. Well, late on a me. week ago, I got a cat. Oh yeah. That's my spare time. <laughs> not just a, it's not just a cat, a kitten. That's right. Which is even almost even worse. I've seen this cat. But good. 
It's a cute dumpster cat. It is a cute alley cat. He yeah. is not a refined kitty cat. He uh, Does that mean he's like giving you the metal paw all the time? <laughs> yeah. He's like, what are you looking at? He's crude. Bruh. <laughs> no, it's funny. You can definitely tell he's an alley cat because, you know, he just jumps at all your food. He'll you start pouring his food and he's just like scarfing it down. I have to make him slow down and stuff. You can handle up on that business, though. It's yeah. still a kitten. Yeah. You can. He's he's getting better. He's already getting better. I've only had him for a week, but it's funny. We'll open doors in our house, and he'll be he'll just immediately jump in there. Like he's just no fear. He'll just jump into any. I think the my theory is that him being an alley cat, a dumpster opens in an alley. You know, you want to be the first cat in there and get that pizza that's sitting at the bottom. Pizza. You're cat. not the first one in. Pizza cat. You're not getting it, and it's cute because he's a ginger, and and you're a ginger. I'm also a gingering. Gingering. And what did you yeah. name? What what kind of name? Well, I inherited the name Kylo from uh, Audrey's boyfriend named him. He loves Star Wars. He does love Star Wars. He loves it. And Kylo's a good short name. You know, it's, Shout out to James. Go James. <laughs> Kylo. Great name. So you're, so you're happy with the name? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Kylo. Kylo. And I already have him a little BB-8. It's actually a dog toy, but I put it in his bed next to him for cute Instagram photos. <laughs> I don't think I, have you done any Instagram no, photos? No, I haven't yet. I haven't had a good, like a, I need a perfect one. You just said like, oh, for I've been doing this, and you're not doing it. I gotta, you know, I'm compiling. I'm gonna start an album. But yeah, so that's been my spare time. It's been great. That's adorable. We actually we went on a road trip this past <laughs> weekend, and he just slept the whole time. Really, you brought a cat in a car and lived to tell the I tale. I did. Yes, he tried to get under the brake pedal when we were trying to get out of DFW. It was scary. It was raining. It was. That's a terrible idea. He eventually just got back in his crate. Yeah, he's the so boss. <laughs> he got back in his crate eventually. You know, we whatever should, he wants to do. No, he's he's got to learn his you know, learn his boundaries. But it was okay. Yeah, he was good. He slept. I guess that's you know get him used to it early. Like, yeah. Occasionally we have to take our cats. Like you know, I remember. And stuff, yeah. Well, we went on vacations. At one point, we we drove the cats over to Michelle's mother's house, which mm-hmm. is about a thirty minute drive. Okay. And one of the cats poops every single time. Like what? I'm in the car. <laughs> we even, we tried to like let him out. We got a little harness before I left. And I was thinking like he'd have to go to the bathroom because it's like a six and a half hour drive to Baton Rouge. And we let him out, and he just kind of like it was like there was cars rimming by, looking so for he dumpsters. Was, he was scared. Yeah, where's the nearest dumpster? That's Wendy's. No, that's uh, hilarious. He just like, he was just scared, so we just put him back in, and he just slept. So you're time. you're gonna have to at the very least now we have to have a. It'll be the first. Yep. No, it's not actually. I was oh. about to say the first cat photo, thanks to Landon on my site. But I actually, I actually wrote a post once about how cats do what they want. Okay. And how that related uh, to like, I, all right, maybe an intern or something like so that. So I'm not the Neil Armstrong of cat photos. No. On your side. I don't. Not even by. I can't net, plant that close. flag. No. Dang it. You're whoever was second. <laughs> okay, Bob. <laughs> now. Okay, what my have spare you time. been doing in your spare time? All right, Landon. I'm glad you asked. So, as you know, I was recently in San Diego uh, mm-hmm. attending the Cedia Expo, learning literally everything there was to know about emerging home technology. As I walked through it, let me just first I'll say, there's a lot mm-hmm. of TVs at this expo. Okay. And a lot of them are sweet. Like, yeah. Okay. So, if you're an architect and you're listening to this, you probably, you're either this person or you know this person that goes, I don't own a TV or I don't watch that much TV. I'm in a tiny home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My response whenever someone says, oh, I don't watch TV, I'll go, have you seen it? It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So they had lots of like really amazing TVs, which you think, okay, that's the okay. lowest hanging fruit. Just right? like curved TVs and You 3D. name it, they got it. 
If it's like a legit TV thing, they got it. Outdoor TVs that literally you can hose off. Well. Really cool stuff. But there are so many of them, you're like, it becomes white noise. Okay. The, you know, like, oh, it's another amazing TV. Boring. <laughs> so there were a couple of things I saw that really stood out that I really love. But one of the more exciting things that I saw mm-hmm. was this product from Noon Lighting. That's N-O-O-N Lighting. Okay. Which you saw this. Yeah. Because it came up to my office. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So I went and saw this presentation about what it is and how it works and all this kind of great stuff. Mm-hmm. And I put my business card in a bowl to win a prize. Well, actually, the truth is I don't remember doing it. <laughs> but I but I guess I did it because I got back and like a week later, I got an email from this lovely young woman. I say lovely because she was writing to tell me that I had won a prize, nice. which who doesn't love winning prizes, right? <laughs> She's your best friend. Now. Oh, my God. I love her. <laughs> and... um. So I was like, cool. And she said, hey, you won this prize. So we're going to, I need your address so we can send you a pro pack of these noon switches. Cool. Right. Which I was like, awesome. Because I was thinking I was going to buy these things anyway. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're not cheap. I wasn't going to buy a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like two. But I was really excited. I was like, oh my God, I can't stand it. So they sent them to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm looking, I'm so excited. So I spent the weekend undoing like wall plates in my house so i could swap these things out and of course i'm trying okay. not to electrocute myself yeah because my house is not that new it's not old it's new by you know east coast standards it was built in the 80s okay and the wiring in this house is like the most jacked up wiring you've ever you'll open it up and you'll go wow there's yeah. 13 wires in here for this one light switch what is going on wait so the idea is these noon switches they're replacing your old switches yeah, that's so, the yeah so so the way that they work is again these are all This is like smart technology. So what happens is it installs inside a normal switch Mm -hmm. and it has an OLED controller, which is kind of like, think of like an Apple watch, Okay. you know, like a really high resolution, small LED kind of screen. Those are called director switches and they can control up to 10 extension switches, which kind of, they all look like paddle toggle switches, you know, Mm -hmm. they fit. So they use all your existing wiring. They fit in your existing electrical boxes and this director switch you can set up. They come with like three preset standard like settings to it, like scenes kind of thing. Yeah. Or you can program up six up to six other ones for your own. So you can swipe through it and go, oh, I want to do movie watching. You know, I want to set it for movies. So you can swipe through it or you can use an app on your phone. Okay. And you can click the button. And it will communicate to the director switch, and the director switch will control all the other extension switches that you paired to it to create this theme. So that means in my in my house, which is not small, it's not huge, mm. you know, it's not made out of pallets. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. That's going to be my 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 man cave. <laughs> but I can swipe it and say, okay, cooking, and it will control all the different lights in my kitchen, or I can say mm. moving, and it will, it'll control up to 60 feet any wall switch that i put an extension hmm. uh, wall switch on yeah these things are game changers i love it i saw it and i was like this is really clever because you don't have to have you don't have to have like an overriding brain for it to function mm-hmm. it'll pair with like if you have a google assistant or an alexa you oh know, really home assistant Ooh. you could say you can say hey google set it to pizza time and it will have whatever pizza time setting i've created bright lights and it will control all the ones that I've I've paired up for this setting, okay, which is better than what exists now because like so I have the Google Assistant, mm-hmm. and you know my nephew is Philip. Shout out to Philip. 
did a was really nice. He came and he did some stuff. You know, we did some stuff for him. And he's very, he's a very gracious young man. And as a thank you gift, he bought me one of these Google assistants. Okay. And so we have it. And we play music on it. And it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And we have some Philips Hue light bulbs so I can say, hey, Google, turn off the lights in the family room. And it'll turn off the lights in the family room. <laughs> I was expecting the lights to start dimming. I know. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was mindful to not say it too loud yeah. so it didn't actually happen. Yeah. But you have to do it room by room, right? I can't yeah. do a setting. Okay. So this will allow me to say, hey, Google, turn on movie time. Mm-hmm. And it and Google will communicate to that director switch and it will execute the setting with all the extension switches to change all the lights that are programmed in this one scene. Yeah. How cool is that? It's pretty neat. Yeah. Pretty neat, man. I'm really excited wow. about it. Cool. I'm probably more excited than I should be, <laughs> right? Because it's not in place. Yeah. I unscrewed a bunch of stuff and I looked at it and I went, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I was like looking around like, see the Well, they're not, they're not in place yet because, you know, I'm, I'm going out of town tomorrow. Okay, yeah. So you don't want to do it half. You want to have well, to do it. Well, yeah, I don't want it half installed and I've got light switches hanging out and there's wires and my wife's going, well, I don't want to turn on light because I'm afraid I'm electrocute myself. Which <laughs> is reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> reasonable <laughs> argument against it. I'm okay that she feels that way. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to call that a wrap. All right. So thank you for being with us for episode nine, Low Cost Modern House. I'm going to stop talking about subscribing to the podcast because, let's admit it, everyone already knows how to do this. If you're listening to the podcast, you know how it works. We're on everything. However, please take 30 seconds and head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star Big Kahuna rating. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, it's a good one. Right. Okay. So leave us the five-star Big Kahuna rating if you haven't already. It actually makes a difference. It allows us to keep this podcast party train on the tracks. So be sure to visit the original life of an architect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. And thanks so much for tuning in. Adios. shop pick up some daiquiris and then take them home that is a wheels okay sidebar (laughs) was it like a drive-through daiquiri yeah that's something in other parts of the country they have no idea what you're talking about it's it's so weird to me it's just drive-through daiquiris man it's it's don't don't pop the top with the straw you're good to go man that's the dumbest thing ever (laughs) get a gallon you know so your folks actually listen to this podcast oh apparently my grandma somehow figured out how to listen to them (laughs) i don't know Maybe she's one of the people that gave us a uh, a big Kahuna five star. Okay. And if you don't know this, Eric is a big metal head. Oh, all right. He loves yeah, right. heavy metal, and he said that he was going out of town on Saturday, him and his wife, mm-hmm. without the kids, to go to a concert. And he'd be back on Sunday. He told me the name of it, which I don't know the name of it. Droning sorrow metal in blood, blood. <laughs> <laughs> and more blood and more blood and i promise you we won't make you sound stupid we won't stitch stuff together <laughs> where where you clearly <laughs> are saying something that we fabricated we won't do that we could go back over how i'm offering my wife up to band members so i can get uh, special <laughs> privileges <laughs> this just in breaking news breaking breaking low cost housing challenge <laughs> foiling america Okay. Coming for you. It's coming for you. And your little dog, too. <laughs> Play the funky music. Bye-bye.
Don't put that in the cut, by the way. Well, <laughs> now it's definitely going in.